Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast, everybody. My name is Brian Horning. I'm here with my co-hosts, Reginald Andre and Randy Bryan. How are you, gentlemen? Good morning. Happy um, Super Bowl uh, after Tuesday, right? All right. <laughs> Doing great out here, man. Looking to see the weather warm up a little bit. We were freezing cold out here, man. It was down to like 45 and 50 the last couple of days. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, welcome to the show, folks. We This is the uh, Cybersecurity Podcast, where we bring you the business of cybersecurity. Every week, we record this podcast to update you on the latest of what we can find out there, what's going on with cyber attacks, cyber criminals, uh, and really what you can start doing to protect yourself. Um, a lot of things we're going to jump into today aren't being covered by mainstream media. There's a lot of things going on in the world. And uh, we're covering the things that are important around cybersecurity because, as you can see, this stuff is growing. It's becoming a bigger threat for businesses and people every day. Um, so we want to get the word out, make sure people are aware. So help us grow the show, share our show, and get our uh, content out there to people so they know that this stuff is going on. Uh, I talk to guys, I don't know about you, but I talk to more and more people who just aren't aware of the breadth and depth of these threats. You know, I think we were talking about it in, in the, in the green room, Randy, where you were mentioning like a lot of people think that just having multi-factor authentication turned on is good enough for cybersecurity. And, you know, we're here to tell you and we're here to educate you on why that's not the case. So, um, Help us out, share our show, help us grow the show. You guys really help us out and, you know, you're contributing and, and sharing us out. So just keep doing that for us and we'll keep putting out content once a week for you. So, all right, guys. So today, obviously, Andre brought up the Super Bowl. We have the 49ers, who I think were eliminated in the NFC Championship game, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. The 49ers organization is actually dealing with a ransomware attack. And the interesting thing is we, we're going to dive into a little bit more because somebody from the FBI kind of leaked out some information around the 49ers cyber attack that kind of raised my eyebrows. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit and see what this uh, ransomware group that attacked the 49ers is actually, you know, really up to um, because there's a lot more cyber attacks by this group than just the 49ers. Uh, and then we're also going to jump into uh, why multi-factor authentication may not uh, be the thing that really protects you from a lot of different things in the very near future. Because um, the reality of it is, this is very much a cat and mouse game, right? And, you know, if we think back, backups used to be the way that people protected themselves from ransomware until they started attacking the backups and stealing the data and using the exfiltrated data as the leverage to get you to pay. Um, and now they have set their sights set on multi-factor authentication because multi-factor authentication is something that is making it harder for these guys to, you know, successfully attack companies and successfully deploy ransomware and obviously they're going to try to figure out a way to disable or get around these tools that we've put in place. Um, and that's what they're working on today. So we're going to get into that and we're going to talk about that. So before we dive into the content, you guys want to talk about anything, Super Bowl, Super Bowl halftime show. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys, anything you want to talk about? 
Yeah, I mean, Super Bowl was a, a great game overall, and I had a lot of good times uh, in our backyard with our friends and family. So they, it was a great show. Yeah, pretty much the same. I like the halftime show. I grew up watching those guys, so <laughs> I was I was a fan. But all right, so 49ers got this article up from ESPN. And it says the San Francisco 49ers have been hit by a ransomware attack with cyber criminals claiming they stole some of the football team's financial data. So why would a cyber criminal go after a football, a national football team? Well, it definitely makes the headlines, right? Number one. Yep. And uh, go ahead. Money, money, money. Yeah. They can get money from them. They can get money from them. Um, and then, you know, financial information, how, how much players make or how much certain vendors make and things like that. Um, and there's a lot of probably things that happen in the NFL that they don't want getting out and being leaked to the public. So um, we're not talking about major critical infrastructure here. We're talking about an entertainment environment. Yes, it's a big name. It's probably you know, a worldwide recognized name when you say San Francisco 49ers. A lot of people around the world probably know who that is or what that means. Um, so it is a, a big game target in that sense of the word. But it, from a from a critical infrastructure standpoint, from a business standpoint, um, not, not a huge dent in, you know, any supply chains or things like that, like we've seen with other attacks. So, um or if you're the 49ers, are you paying this thing? Or are you even negotiating? Well, um, according to um, the sources, they're saying that it, it's not a lot of the uh, operational or things that have to do with the stadium itself. Um, this one is, they, the example they're giving is a file mark 2020 invoices. Ah, that that's a, it just depends on because if it's a ransomware and and now they can't access their files there's one thing where if they can't access the files at all via backup so it just really just depends on how good of their uh, system is and as we know it doesn't matter how large a corporation is or name brand a corporation is they could have you know a really really bad um uh a way to get their back their information they they may not have so it just really depends on on how good their their plan is. Yeah, and we know that the attack was through an exchange server. So highly likely, unless they just don't use that, they're probably, my guess is they're using that exchange server for all of their emails. So that means all the emails between owners, owners to other owners, owners to players. I'm sure there's all kinds of salary negotiations in there all kinds of personal information, like, you know, hey, thanks for joining our organization. You know, send us back your socials. So we can start paying you. Like, I mean, the the amount of data in there is endless. So to answer your question, should they pay? Um, that I don't know. I don't know how hold of their data they have. I don't know how much leaked out. Um, we know they won't get it all back if they pay, but we also know that potentially less likely to get leaked if they pay. So good question. I don't know if I have the answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say that I hope that this is one of those attacks that these knuckleheads do 
on like what they think is a big name and a big, big payday, but instead it got the ire of the FBI and the CIA. Mm -hmm. And now they kind of lay down the gauntlet on these guys. Cause this is a, a new ransomware group. And as we're about to get into, they seem to be kind of under the surface, making some waves um, with a bunch of attacks um, that nobody's really hearing about. So that's why we want to talk about this group today, but let's just, jump into the group a little bit, right? This black bite uh, ransomware group that is claiming responsibility for this attack. Um, you know, even in this ESPN article, I have another article to show it, but it says the news of the attack comes two days after FBI and U.S. Secret Service issued an alert on black bite ransomware saying it had compromised multiple U.S. foreign and foreign businesses, including entities in at least three U.S. critical infrastructure uh, sectors since November. Um, so I wasn't hearing a lot about this group. It's, you know, been lockbit, kind of lockbit, lockbit for the last month and a half, but here you go. You know, here's evidence that another ransomware group has been having a tremendous amount of success and who's hearing about it, right? Where are you hearing about this? This is the first we've heard about black bite and, They've been attacking critical infrastructure since November. Mm -hmm. So, it, 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 you know, it paints this picture to me that we're really suppressing. I don't know who it is, but we're really suppressing getting this information out to people and, and kind of bringing awareness to the problem. We're brushing it under the rub like we typically do with most you know, problems that initially surface. We like to pretend that they, they're not really happening as a society and as a government um, and brush it under the rug. Are you guys seeing that or do you agree with me or do you have a different perspective? No, absolutely. I was, the same thing I was thinking, you know, you could have a school system or a particular thing like that educational wise and, you know, all the kids are failing, but then they continue to pass them. Nobody says anything. You hide them in that corner and it's the same thing that's happening now. I mean, for a critical infrastructures to be um, attacked and compromised and it's not making the news and you know we're talking about everything else but this just kind of tells you where um, reminds me of that movie don't look up if you guys seen that no no okay. have it so think, I'm gonna go ahead Randy I was just gonna say I think it it goes back to that we've we've discussed this several times people get tired of news um, the news cycle gets tired I mean so basically, it's like we're living in, you know, like L.A. right now is going through a huge crime, crime rash or crime wave. And, you know, people are they know not to wear their nice jewelry when they go out and they know not to carry fancy handbags, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the news might get reported on, but I doubt it's getting clicked on anymore because it just people become wary of it. And, you know, it's happening so much. Uh, people are just wary of it. This particular one um, really catches my eye because it's another ransomware as a service. And it's one that actually kind of died and then they revived it, um, you know, and here it is back in full force now. I don't think we're I don't think we're ever going to the days of it not being ransomware as a service are gone. Yeah, they're, they're never going to go back to that because. Again, it's it's different skill sets to do different right. things through an attack, right? It's more scalable. Right. So, you know, pay the guys who are good at breaching networks and sending phishing emails and, you know, social engineering people to 
take over their accounts, right? Pay those guys to deploy the ransomware, you know, offer it to them as a service instead of investing in your own talent or finding your own talent who can break in the networks. It's, it's much more efficient for them to just have other people do the breaking in and then they roll in and, you know, lock everything up for you. So, uh, and then you all share the profits. So black, you know, this, this article goes into it a little bit more, talks about, um, uh, 49ers. It also dives into, you know, this one statement here briefly about critical infrastructure, government facilities in the financial and food and agriculture sectors. Um, talks about, you know, this whole thing with BlackBite ransomware. Um, they first surfaced in July of last year. Kind of funny that they surfaced after a certain group went away. Um <laughs> And then they were hit with a decryption tool because of a fall in their system. But then they have an updated version of the ransomware that's out there now. The bottom of this article, this is the big thing that I want to talk about right now. Because we are, you know, hearing a lot about this Log4j thing. And Log4j hasn't gone away just because it's out of the news cycle. It's still very much a serious vulnerability that attackers will try to use through time. Because people don't patch and people don't make don't don't secure these systems well enough. And basically the FBI knows that this group, BlackBite, exploits the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability that's been around for what a year now, guys? Mm-hmm. Right? So here we are with lazy human beings, you know, not patching systems. You know, 365 days later, we're still seeing instances of cyber attacks that happen because of a well-known vulnerability in Microsoft Exchange Server. So, like, if you're running Exchange Servers and you haven't patched this, what have you been doing for the last 12 months? What is your excuse for keeping this system up and running and not, you know, if if it has to be a legacy system or Really, there's no excuse in my mind that you can come up with when you have all these different options available to you today, like moving to the cloud, um, you know, things like that. You can't tell me that your server farm is so huge that you can't do this in a one year period. Guys, agree, disagree with that? Because, you know, I'm going to say, is it lazy or incompetence? Because it's again, it's like. It, especially if they have the manpower and the budget. It's you know, like, you know, know I don't know if they do have the budget, Andre, because quite frankly, you know, just on my own experience, we've been talking to a lot of companies where we've been told lately, like they don't have the budget to, to work with us. Um, and we're talking about companies that should have the budget. It's not whether they, the, the, the revenue is there. It's just that their perspective of what they should pay for, IT as a whole in their business, meaning, you know, hardware, software, talent, labor, all that stuff that goes into running your IT, their perspective is, is that they should be paying 1% or less for that in their business. And you, you guys know, and we know that most companies that do security properly, and depending on how much compliance they have, it's somewhere between three and 6% of top line revenue. Um, and if you're not dedicating that much, you're every day building technology debt. Every single day that yep. you don't spend that much, you're building technology debt in your business. Yep. And one day 
the banker is going to come knocking and he's going to say it's time to pay. That could be a cyber criminal or it yep. could be the day that your system crashes and somebody tells you this stuff's not coming back. Um, you got to buy all new stuff. Uh, I can tell you from experience, you'd rather plan that out and do that out through a budgeting, through budgeting and roadmaps and plan it out and not have to write a big fat check to somebody because you're in the middle of, of, of a shit storm. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thought on that one. Um, you know, that's like, I just feel like there's a lot of businesses out there that have to mature around IT and what they thought they could get away with in their business in terms of technology spend. I think in the next three to five years, a lot of businesses are going to start waking up and realizing that they've been getting away with, you know, basically not paying. I don't want to say their fair share because that's not the right word, but they haven't been paying what they need to pay. Like, you know, if a business only spends 2% of its total revenue on marketing and they're wondering why they're not growing, you know, that's, that's kind of like what this is tantamount to. If you're inefficient, if you're, if your employees are talking about like slow computers or not being able to get things done efficiently, or you're a victim of a cyber attack, it's probably because you were spending less than, you know, 3% on your total IT. Thoughts on that, guys? I mean, that's kind of what I'm seeing with this stuff. And I only think that Log4J is just going to be kind of like the part two to what we're seeing with exchange servers, right? They don't need to exploit Log4J right now because they can exploit right. this. You know, the, the day will come when Log4J has its heyday. It's probably, you know, three, six months out before we really start seeing like hackers exploiting the crap out of that. Mm -hmm. And they're probably just in the systems now, just just watching and just making, you know, waiting to hit that button. Right. Oh, yeah. You're 100 percent right. Um, or, you know, where they're, you know, digging a deeper tunnel. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean. So, it's really about, it's not, I would say it's not even about that they don't have money. It's, it's about, they don't see the priority of the money, you know, um, either from right. like, you know, Hey, like if, if I chose to draw, to drive a 2022 Escalade, you know, my, my payment on that, you know, for a small company that might cover, you know, half of their IT or, if something like this pops up, I mean, all of a sudden, magically, the money's going to be there. And right. so the owners have to be able to see that this is a this is a, a very possible future reality and then put it in that risk perspective and then be able to spend the money now um, to hopefully mitigate that risk and either a avoid that or b when it happens you got a faster way back from it that doesn't that doesn't bankrupt your business and put it out of business so good discussion to have yeah i mean one of the things that comes to mind when you say that randy is like you you're going to you're you're not paying like if you're not paying enough now right and we talked about the technology debt and then, you know what I mean, you're not as a business owner, you're you're looking at this as like an increase in your expenses or you're looking at this as like, hey, I, this is something I haven't been paying for that, you know, I probably need to pay for. Right. But a lot of conversations 
are turning towards what you kind of mentioned in the green room where they're like, Hey, I I'll just do this one thing and I'll, and I'll be good because maybe that's what my cyber insurance application asked me this year. Um, you know, and I think that that's a, a very dangerous game to play simply because, you know, you're, you, again, we've mentioned that this has to happen in layers. There has to be a lot of different layers that go into us. It. It's not one thing, but I've even had conversations with business owners around like, Hey, shouldn't, instead of hiring you, I'll just buy cyber insurance and that'll cover me. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that a lot of times, Hey, we're having these conversations after we've already audited their business. And I sit there and I tell them, if you buy cyber insurance with the state of your cybersecurity as it is right now, you're never going to get paid. Mm -hmm. You're just going to be wasting your money paying some insurance company. If you have an event and you try to file a claim, they're going to come in and say, you're not doing X, Y, and Z. And we're not, we're, we're denying this claim. Um, and the unfortunate part is, is, you know, what I'm also seeing on the flip side of that, and people need to be aware of this, these insurance companies, a lot of times are going in and doing the work and getting you out of the situation. But then after the fact, they're evaluating the situation and then they're deciding, well, maybe we shouldn't have paid that claim. And they're going and filing a lawsuit against the company or they're filing it against the person responsible for their network, whether that be a third party company or somebody, you know, that you contracted that's not an employee of yours or it's your own employee, which then makes your own company at fault, right, on its own. So these are the things that are happening out there that I just want to bring awareness to to people because you may hear that an insurance company bailed a business out, but you didn't hear six months down the road that insurance company turned around and, and sued a bunch of people who, uh, who they deemed responsible for the event. Yeah. Uh, when the insurance companies, as our friend Chris says, when the insurance companies, the bank, the insurance companies don't like being in that situation. And right now at cyber insurance, the insurance companies are the bank. When people have a problem, they look at the insurance companies like, hey, you know, now pay us because we got to pay these criminals um, and we got to get out of this situation. And there's not enough money coming in to, to the product to, to justify what they're paying out on the back end. Um, so they're doing what they can, which is increasing rates, lowering limits and suing, you know, to deny claims so anything you guys want to add to that i just did a quick um uh google search the average um nfl team their value is 3.8 billion and their average profit is about 300 million oh yeah so that's so even if they follow the one percent rule that's that's one hell of an it budget yeah. <laughs> eh, well i mean is it really though I mean, that's I think that's the problem that we have today is that people's expectations around what an IT budget should be is extremely skewed to the low side. And it's time for people to realize that this stuff isn't cheap and labor in 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 these skill sets is not cheap. And there's no easy fixing to that. Right. You can't just throw somebody in front of a computer and train them on how to do this stuff. As somebody who's trained into doing this stuff, who's dedicated their life to it, who has a passion behind it, um, that's the type of person that's going to learn this stuff. It's not going to be some dude who's like, 
you know, I was in construction and now I want to change fields and go into cybersecurity. And then, you know, six months later, they're a cybersecurity person. No, they're going to, it's going to take them years and years and years, probably close to a decade to get enough skill to get to the point where they can actually be, you know, a decent cyber defender. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, this, this, again, this is like, you know, you're not hiring trash men, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're hiring people with skill, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say they're tatted amount to a doctor, but there's a lot of training and a lot of things that need to be in place. And passion is one of them, right? You need to be passionate about this stuff and what you're doing, or you're never going to learn it. Um, it takes a lot of hours, you know, late nights. You know, I remember when I was in my twenties, burning the candle at both ends, learning how to code, learning how to, you know, to do everything that I know how to do today that helps me with cybersecurity. Um, and these are the things that people need to know in, in, in order to be a good cyber defender. Um, you know, and, and again, these guys command well over a hundred thousand dollars if they're paid correctly, right. For one person, you know, and that we're not talking about a CISO or an IT director or anything like that. We're talking about, you know, a threat hunter or somebody who knows how to, you know, start looking for vulnerabilities in a network and help you, you know, remediate them. One more thing too. I just, uh, again, just looking at averages, average employee size of an NFL is about 2,500 employees. Right. Yeah. So that, and if you do the math that let's just say, you know, at X dollar per seat, that's almost $9 million. So, so you're right. 3 million is the low side. Right. Yeah. So going into kind of our discussion about how to protect yourself we know multi-factor authentication is kind of like the the thing right now, right? Um, we're probably we probably have zero trust on the horizon, where zero trust is going to be a thing that insurance companies are going to require in order for you to get cyber insurance. Um, right now, it's kind of multi-factor authentication. The insurance companies have kind of tricked themselves into thinking like, hey, if we make everybody say that they're doing multi-factor on everything. You know, I, I look at that as a double-edged sword. A, yes, you're you're increasing the protection or decreasing the threat level, um, but you're also opening the door for somebody saying they use multi-factor when they don't, and then when you go in to, you know, figure out what happened in an attack and say, oh, you said you used multi-factor on everything, but we found this, that, and this that didn't have multi-factor, right? And now we can, you know, deny your claim because you lied on your application. That's kind of what I see this as. Um, I don't know if you guys have have a have a thought about it, but besides that, jumping into this article, we have hackers who've begun adapting to to wider use of multi-factor authentication. So figuring out ways to trick your users into either them giving the MFA code up by setting up fake websites and 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 login pages. Um, that look like they're logging in and even are challenged with the MFA code. Because like, look, if you use Google Authenticator, I, th- I think it's a minute, right? You have a minute before that thing mm-hmm. changes, right? So if I can get you to give me your username and password and your MFA code, and I can then log into that account within a minute, I'm probably getting in. Correct? Yeah. yeah. We we saw that in that what um, article was that um, with the employee for a company where the, the guy, remember they were talking about in, in the dinner table and mm-hmm. he realized that someone 
got his password and he gave the 2FA. I forgot yep. the name of that company. I do too, but that, that definitely did happen, right? Yeah. And you can also multi-factor can be tricked a lot of different ways. It's not bullet, it's not a silver bullet, right? SIM swapping can happen. So if you like to have your MFA sent to your phone in a in a text message, somebody can easily call your call your provider. And if they provide them enough personally identifiable information, they can have a new SIM sent to them and now they have control of your of your phone. And they can use that to then log into your accounts. It's always better to use a hardware device uh, or, you know, an authenticator app, but the authenticator apps have issues, right? The YubiKey, I don't know, in my opinion, I don't personally use it, but it it is an effective way to kind of really not get tricked. I, I would have to say that a hardware device that's plugged into a machine that authenticates you is probably the best thing you can do versus an authenticator app or SMS. Right. It is. I mean, the problem with that is, though, like even going back to the solar winds hack from over a year ago or however long that's been. Um, if you have the key plugged in and you get up and leave your computer for just a few seconds, um, if if they're in your system now, they could take advantage of that as you walked away or whatever. So there's a nothing's going to be foolproof like you've like right. you've said several times. I mean, in in the last few minutes, well, you've got to have layers, you know, have the multi-factor, um, then also have a notification when someone logs in, have a notification when someone logs in from outside of a allow listed IP address or tries to log in from an, uh, from a, from a, um, allow listed white, white IP address. Um, just yesterday, someone got a notification um, someone that I know got a notification that someone, um, they logged in and they were asking for the MFA code. The MFA code was sent to their phone. Um, you know, knowing when things like that go down really helps, uh, you know, create another layer. I didn't mean to get off into the weeds there though. No, it was good. No, no. And there, there's been situations too, where the, the mobile carriers aren't doing a good job training their employees. Like there's been plenty of time, what I call Comcast and I'm asking a question about the account and the conversation just starts. It's not like a screen that's prompting the agent to say, well, enter the four digit code or security question before right. you start talking about the account. So, yeah. So I finally, had, I finally had time to do a little digging. I mean, and you know, this is a security number that, my social security number showed up on the dark web in the last 60 days or so. And it was from the T-Mobile breach. Yep. Right. I guess at some point I'm pretty sure we, uh, you know, applied for a business account uh, with T-Mobile, which we didn't end up moving forward with. I never did business with T-Mobile, but they were storing my social, my personal social security number. God knows mm -hmm. why. Um, and they were breached. And now my social security numbers uh, um, on the dark web and, you know, that's there's enough personally identifiable information for everybody on, on the planet at this point and their kids to where cyber criminals could easily call up your um, your carrier and give them personally identifiable information that allows them yep. to make changes on your account. Yep. The best thing you can do is set up what's known as a pin, you know, the FAN pin, like nothing can be done on the account unless you have that, they have that pin. Um, and 
that's what I have set up on my mobile account. You can't do anything on our accounts unless you give them that pin. You could give them my social security number, my address, whatever you want. You can't do anything until that pin is entered. Um, and quite frankly, I didn't even assign the pin. It was given to me by the carrier. Um, so it's not anything that I remember or use. I have to look it up every time that I need to use it. Um, and that's kind of how it should be, right? So what else is going on with this multi-factor authentication here, guys? What else uh, is highlighted in this article that you want to talk about? I mean, the basic gist of it is they're saying that because we've gone from, you know, 25-ish percent of people using it four or five years ago to 75%-ish people using it now, um, it's forced the bad actors to to basically, you know, figure out ways around it. This article goes into where, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they used to use like a fake page, get your username, password, then get your, your MFA code, like right after that, where they've just, they're doing the same thing, um, but they're injecting a proxy into your, your internet stream, if you will, um, that is then sending the password, sending the MFA code, um, to them so they can enter it in remotely. Um, once again, begs the point you need, you need to have things in place like getting a warning or blocking. If you try to log in from two different places at the same time, you know, that ought to raise some kind of flag. You know, I can't well, a lot of times that's dependent on the website and the developer, right? Cause if you don't have that functionality available to users, um, that's not an option, right? You know, right. You, you know, the website, like if I, if I join a website and I log in and then somebody logs in halfway across the world and that website doesn't have the ability to detect that mm -hmm. or allow me to plug something in that can detect that, like an API that will, you know, mm -hmm. tell me when that happens, you know, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the technology yeah, that's available to you for a lot of these services. So yep. you may want to turn on multi-factor authentication on some accounts and the sites just don't offer it. Right. Yep. Um, it's probably we're at, we're probably at a point in time in the world where if that's the case, you probably need to go find another service that does offer better security. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most of the things that I run into today do offer some level of, of, of multi-factor authentication. Good. So to quote Andre, 2020, 20, sorry, 2022 is the year. If you don't have multi-factor turned on, that account's going to get hacked. Mm -hmm. yep. Andre said that our first podcast of the year. I've probably told that to a hundred people. Oh, this cool. year. <laughs> All right. So real quick, we'll wrap up uh, the show with a question here. What are some of the security risks of using authenticator apps other than social engineering? What do you guys think about that one? Well, one thing I've seen is that if your phone isn't updated and you have an unsecure phone running the, the authenticator app, then that's also, that's one issue. So always make sure that you're, your mobile device and other devices you're using has um, updates on there. Uh, also, one more thing too is, you know, there's the terms, you know, safest doesn't necessarily mean perfect. So it, it, it's that uh, sense of false security. As Randy mentioned, he had a customer where because he was like, oh, I got 2FA and, and therefore we're covered. We don't have to worry about anything. So that's another thing where people think, okay, just because I have 2FA, now, you know what, I don't need anything else. So that, that in a way, is another risk of, of, of having that, is that safe sense of security. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, and I would say back to the phone thing, most of the authenticator apps are on a phone. Um, so I would, I would say do not use a phone that's not actively being updated and do not use a off brand, you know, Hey, my, you know, my uncle went to visit China last year and brought me this, you know, 28 gigabytes of Ram and two terabyte hard drive on a phone, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you've never heard of the company before. Um, I saw as it, as it's, it's, it needs all that power to send all the data it's sending back to. Exactly. I saw land. a demonstration of that and they, they basically booted up one of those phones inside of a Faraday cage because they knew it could probably infect the things around them. And the information that it was trying to send home was insane. You know, but bottom line is if you're on an unsecure phone, I, I would suggest one of the major brand phones and it needs to be updated with a current update. Um, so, you know, you minimize the risk of them getting your codes. There's a feature the on every single phone also that allows you to encrypt the device. I would highly recommend that you find that setting in your phone and turn on the encryption. That just prevents anybody from being able to take your phone if they can't log into it or boot it up, pull any data off of that. And the only yep. other thing I would ask people to be mindful of when using authenticator apps is, when you set up an authenticator app like Google Authenticator, it always gives you a recovery phrase in the event that you lose your phone or something happens to your device where it gets wiped and you can restore those codes from your backup phrase or your backup codes. And this is usually done in the beginning when you first set up the, the app. It tells you to print out the codes so you have it. Um, a... I'd recommend that you do it because if you're ever in a jam, you drop your phone in the toilet or in the ocean, you're going to need those codes or you're going to be resetting up all your MFA, which is not fun. Um, the other side of it is, is that, you know, with with that being the case, if I can get my hands on your backup codes, I can easily download the authenticator app from the store, plug in your backup codes and boom, now I have all your codes and they're running on my phone. So, you know, Definitely print that out, laminate it, throw it in a safe somewhere where it's not going to you know, get caught in a fire and keep that secure. Don't store it online. Don't store it on a computer because um, if that computer gets hacked or, or compromised in any way, shape or form, now they have your backup codes and now they can, you know, go figure out what your 2FA is on everything. Um Keep it offline. Keep it printed out. I laminated mine. I put it in a fireproof safe. I know exactly where it's at. My wife knows where it's at. So in the event I die, she knows where to go and get it. And, you know, that's kind of how I plan out that. Because um, you're not getting in any of, my, any of my accounts without my authenticator app. It's just never going to happen. So um, keep that in mind. Backup codes. Keep them safe. Definitely use them. Print them out. Don't store them online. Don't store them on a code or don't store them on a computer. And, you know, keep them secure from prying eyes, so to speak. Because uh, once they have those, they're in your app. All right, guys. I think that about does it. We're about 40 minutes in. Yep. Appreciate the question from Steven. He's always a, a big fan. We uh, appreciate that. Steven shares our show. I guarantee it. So, mm -hmm. all right, guys. Uh, appreciate your time. You got anything for the, for the good of the show? Or we'll just wrap it up. Nope, I'm all set on my side.
Same here. All right. We'll see you on the, uh, the next episode. Take care, everyone.